Okay, well, let's take our Bibles now. Let's go to James, okay? James chapter number one this evening. James chapter number one. <clears throat> and we'll be in verses 17 through uh, 21 here, here shortly. We'll, we'll look at these verses. And, but as you come into James chapter one, we need to be reminded, I think it'd be helpful every time we come to the book, to be reminded of what's going on. All right, why James is writing this general epistle, as we know it as, as we call it. But why is he writing? Well, James, understand, is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered from their homes. They've been scattered from Jerusalem, been scattered from their homes, largely due to the cruel persecution that they are suffering, that first wave of persecution they're suffering from the religious and political crowd of the day. So keep in mind that the audience to whom Pastor James is writing are to people, believers, who are hurting, who are struggling, and who are absolutely confused. But Pastor James, he's fully aware of what's going on, and so he is prompted, no doubt, by the Holy Spirit of God, this is the Word of God after all, to sit down and instruct, to sit down and encourage these dear people at this time through the pen of James and his general epistle. All right, so keep that in mind what's all kind of going on in his, history, historically at least at this time, okay? But as we come back to James chapter 1, we know that James has really been dealing with the main subject and a main word, and that word is temptations. And uh, we've taken notice of this word, but it has two different meanings depending on the context uh, of this word temptations. And uh, the first meaning of this word temptation is this one. It's trials, troubles, tribulations, uh, persecutions. And we can see that in the context of James 1, verses 12, or I'm sorry, verses 2 through 12. Uh, we can see that as James is dealing with the trials of life they're facing. And then he goes on to talk about more temptations. And, but that, that temptation there he's dealing with in verses 13 through 16 is, uh, is this way. He's dealing with more of the enticement to sin or the enticement to do evil. But James at this time is dealing with temptations. And these first century believers, they were facing many of them, and even on different levels, but listen, all at the same time. Uh, they're dealing with temptations on different levels, but all at the same time. They're facing temptations of trials and troubles, but also of temptations of sin and of evil, all at the same time during this first century. But guess what? During this 21st century in which you and I live as believers, as those who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we face temptations as well. Temptations of trials and temptations of sin. Do we not? Yes, you can say amen right there. We all face it, all right? We face those times of life. But as we face them, as we face temptations, the trials, difficulties, as we face the temptations to sin by our flesh daily, uh, by the world around us, it, which is encouraged, by the way, by the devil and his minions, but as we face these times of temptations, I don't know about you, but it can get very frustrating. <laughs> it can become, we can become very frustrated through these times of life. Let me ask you, do you get frustrated when you face the trials of life as you go through difficulties, as you are just so burdened with everything that's going on in your life? Even just yesterday, trying to help some folks who are just getting smacked right in the face with reality 
in life. It is going through difficulties. And it seems when we do, we can become frustrated or even angry because your frustrations and because of our anger due to the, the, tri- uh, the, the trials and, and temptations, we can become angry and lash out or speak out of turn and just get plain old mad. That can happen. And if you get frustrated through the trials of life and difficulties of life and you lash out, please know you're not alone. Not the only one to ever do that, all right? Or maybe you're dealing with temptations as in dealing with the temptation of our uh, lustly flesh or by the world's allure or by the devil's deception and you're tempted to do those things you know you're not ought to do and you don't want to do them, but somehow you yielded to that temptation. And after yielding to the temptation, you get so frustrated and mad even at your own self and you're like, I, I just can't believe I did this again. I gave in to this again. I don't want to keep doing this. I hate this. What in the world is going on? What in the world is wrong with me? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever had that situation? Understand you're not alone. We know that the Apostle Paul, he struggled with these temptations we're talking about, the temptations of trials of life. Man, he went through them. And we won't take time to read it and look at it, but you can see in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, his testimony to the Corinthian believers of all those perils he faced, those troubles and trials he faced. We're not alone. You can even see when Paul, as he struggled even with his own flesh, and yes, he was tempted to sin. You can see that in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, when he says, For I know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For, what, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. I mean, he sounds like a big struggle, does it not? Even for the mighty apostle Paul himself, understand, if you find yourselves frustrated through the temptations of life, those trials, yes, even those temptations of sin, yes, you find yourself frustrated and even angry at them, or angry at yourself, you're not alone. We find ourselves there. The struggle is real. And I can imagine... As we come to James chapter 1 and looking in verse number 17 here in just a moment down through 21, I can imagine that these believers did the same. I got frustrated with what's going on. I just so ugh, angry. And maybe even lashing out. We find ourselves there from time to time. And maybe even these believers did the same. Look at it with me, all right? James chapter 1. Verses 19 through 21 first, okay? Actually, we'll start in verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Wonderful verse. We'll get to that in a minute. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save, save your souls. You see, as we read these verses, it sounds like to me that uh, 
At the very least, these individuals were frustrated with what's going on because why else would James speak of, in the context, overall context, of temptations, why would he dare speak of be slow to wrath? Every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Why would he hammer down on all that if perhaps they were not struggling with that frustration? Struggling with that wrath and anger through the temptations and trials of life. Do you think he just, this random? No, not at all. Very well could be these individuals were struggling with that. Because listen, we struggle with it too. We struggle with that frustration during those times and overall context of those times of temptations and trials of life. So here's what I want to see this evening. And uh, forgive me, but we're not going to get past the first point of this message. But here's what I want to see. This title. I want to consider our temperament through the trials and temptations of life. And so, if you get frustrated through the trials and temptations of life, then consider this, number one, consider this. Consider the goodness of God. All right? Consider the goodness of God. Look at verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's very interesting here as he is connecting all this with the tribulations and, and troubles and even temptations to sin, connecting all of this when it leads to their frustration. But he's pointing them to an aspect that we all need to look at, especially when we find our own selves frustrated through these times of life, and that is this. Consider the goodness of God. Look, did you know that uh, many people, not all, I don't want to put a blanket statement on folks, it's not necessarily fair to everybody, but for many people, uh, for many people, our, our brains are more apt to dwell on the negative aspects and, of life and negative experiences of life more so than the positive aspects and experiences of life. How many know what I'm talking about? Just me? Okay, a few of us. All right. Uh, well, it's interesting. I found out that's called negativity, the negativity effect. Now, just so you know, I'm, I'm not going to, we're not dabbling into psychology here and all that kind of thing. I'm not a psychologist, not trying to be one, nor am I trying to um, do the whole power of positive thinking type of thing. As people would say, well, if you just think better, then you'll be better, that kind of deal. Because I know very, some positive people who struggle, all right? I'm not getting into all that, and I'm not saying all of that, nor am I suggesting it. But here's what I do know. I'm fully aware also of the danger of a constant negative thinking. Fully aware of that. Because listen, our minds are more powerful than we realize because it's from our minds, from the condition of our minds comes the conduct of our lives. Here's what the Bible says. In Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it, out of your heart, are the issues or conduct of life. And again, this biblical heart, we know this. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but just as a reminder, we know that the biblical heart that the writer of Proverbs is speaking about is not the blood-pumping organ in our chest cavity. 
Rather, he is speaking about our minds. Again, the writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thanketh in his heart, so is he. Uh, Jesus said it this way, Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies, and so forth. Uh, so look, we can't, we can't thank thoughts with the pumping organ in our body that pumps blood throughout our body that we call the heart. Rather, we think with our brains. Or at least we should, right? Do like this if you're, if you're with me, okay? At least we should. We, we think with our mind. We think with our brain. So logically, we could conclude that the biblical heart of Proverbs 4.23 and Proverbs 23.7 is our minds. Yes? Absolutely. So from the condition of our heart, our minds, comes the conduct of our lives. What I'm getting at is this. How we think and what we allow our minds to dwell upon is important. And at this moment here, these believers could very well be dwelling, thinking upon all the negative trials and temptations of life. Again, because from the condition of our minds come the conduct of our lives. You see, our brain has a tendency to lean toward or dwelling upon the negative side of things more often than the positive. One doctor said this, I read earlier today, He said, the brain registers, focuses, stores, and recalls negative events much more readily and rapidly than positive ones. He went on to say that our brains are more readily to notice negative events and recall them more vividly than positive ones. To dwell, our brains dwell on negative events, including even when we daydream. He says that they give more importance, our brains that is, or weight to negative events in our lives than even important events, positive events. Our brains have a tendency to focus on the negative even if the negative event is insignificant. For instance, just say that you posted a picture of you and your family and you thought it's a great picture. You put it on Facebook and you have 100 comments. And of the 100 comments, you have 99 that says, man, that's a good-looking family, good-looking family, wonderful family, so forth and so on. And down towards the bottom, you see one comment that says, well, those clothes don't match. That's the only comment. Which comment do you focus upon? Yeah, why would you say that, right? Why would you say that? Why would you say that? That's what you're focusing upon. But listen, because our brains have a tendency to focus on that one negative comment and exclude all the 99 positive ones. It has a tendency to do that. Our brains have more of a tendency to remember insults and criticism more than compliments. And I'm going to be honest with you and be a little bit vulnerable to you this evening. Uh, I tend to do that more often than not. All right? And by the way, I am my own worst critic. You can't get worse than me. But some, too many times I lean or hold on to more criticism than I do compliments. I remember starting out very early in ministry and I was preaching a message and I studied for it. I thought it was good, prayed, and I thought I hit a home run, man. I, I was like, man, that was, that was good. Praise the Lord. And I had, as people come through shaking your hand and know, oh, great message, great message. Thank you. God's using you. Keep, keep it up. Keep it up. And this one man comes by and says, now, now you know you, you mispronounced some words, right? And I'm like, trying to be spiritual about it. Well, y- yes, sir. Um, 
I'm not very good with the Queen's English. Which words did I butcher? You know? And he opened his Bible and showed me where I messed up. And, and that was fine. You know, that's fine. And, uh, but I let it eat at me. Of the dozens of others that, man, God really helped me. God used this. God used that. Had one man that said, you really messed up on these words. Now, he was, I'll give him a little credit. He was an English professor, I believe, even in college. All right, so he was very good with that and yada, yada. But I let it eat at me and eat at me and eat at me for months, months and months, almost a year. I would avoid that man. Come to church. He'd go on one side of the door. i go on the other side of the door. During handshaking time, he'd come around the front. I'm already going to the back. I wanted to avoid him. Until finally God got a hold of my heart, knowing that I was dealing with this, got a hold of my heart, and let it be known that I was allowing this negativity to have a deep-seated uh, uh, root of bitterness take hold of my heart. I'm like, oh, Lord, I, I don't want that. So I had to make it right with him. He had no idea. He was trying to be positive. In his, he was. In his own way, he was trying to be constructive and positive. But I took it as negative, right? Why do we do that? Because our brains have a tendency to dwell on the negative. So, back to our text. I say all of that, big old umbrella there, to say all of that to say this. Couple the negativity of what's going on in the past even from these people's lives. Try to picture it. These believers, no doubt they've gone through hardships before. But, but couple the negativity of the past with the difficulties that these believers are going through in the present. And guess what you have a great recipe for? discouragement, if not worse. Make sense? So that's what's going on. So no wonder James jumps to it and says, all right, wherefore, meaning because of all this, brethren, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So at this moment, this could have been what's going on. They could have had that recipe of these dear believers, the, the past struggles and maybe negativity, coupled, definitely coupled, we know of, definitely coupled with the present struggles and hurts and temptations that they are facing. And so James tries to get them off of the negative things, the temptations that they're facing and seeing and onto this. Look at verse 17 again. Every good gift. My brethren, listen. That's what he's saying. Brethren, listen, look. Don't miss this. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness in the shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. He is telling his hurting and struggling believers, look, I, I know I know what you're going through. These times are very difficult. And I know you're facing some very negative days. But know this, that, that, that temptation, understand it, did not come from God. That struggle did not come from Jesus. That enticement to do evil and sin, that, that temptation to yield to sin, did not come from your loving Heavenly Father. Why? Because that is not who our God is, nor is that what our God gives that's what he's saying. No, what, what God does and what God gives is, is this. Look at verse 17. After I stop, I want you to say the next word. All right, you ready? Look at verse 17. Every good. Every good gift. 
Every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What he is pointing to at this moment is the goodness of God. Because everything around him is not so good at the moment. The trials, the difficulties, the temptations to sin, not so good. But he's pointing them to one who is. They're tempted to be frustrated, but get your eyes on the goodness of God. That'll help your frustrations, your anger, and your wrath. Because look, look here, this word good here, it means beneficial, pleasant, useful, agreeable. It even carries the idea of something that brings joy and even happiness. You know, as a parent, I like to get my kids uh, gifts. I like to give them things. I like to see the joy it brings to their face and the excitement that they get. I love to hear my kids when I give them something like, yay. I don't know. I just love to hear that. You know, I like giving my kids things and, and I generally, generally like doing that. And, and in giving them gifts and seeing the joy it brings them, well, guess what? It, it brings me joy too. And I believe, I'm a terrible example, all right, but... I believe that same way, in, in the same way, that our Heavenly Father brings Him joy to give us good things because it points to His goodness and His love and care for us. Because everything, understand, everything good in this world, it does come from God. And if it did not come from God, then it's not good because He is only good and only gives good gifts and this should point to his goodness. But one of the many tricks of the devil, especially through trials and temptations, is to get us to believe that our loving, good, heavenly Father is withholding from us, is, is holding back. Meaning, he doesn't really care for you, and he's really not that good if you think about it. That's his trick. You see, Satan did this with Eve in the very beginning in the garden when he approached her and suggested that God didn't really love her or care. Because if he did, why would he hold back that fruit? Again, look at, or just listen to it, rather, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know. Here it is. He's, pointing at, he's, he's trying to paint a picture, a false one of God. For God doth know that they eat thereof. Your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The devil was trying to say to her, listen, God is holding back from you. He's withholding good stuff from you. And if he is doing that, then surely he must not be as good as you think. But understand, we know that the Lord was not holding back because he didn't love them. Rather, he was doing so because he's trying to protect them. Again, proving once again his love tender care and goodness for Adam and Eve. But Satan is a liar and the father of it. He is a deceiver and he is the tempter. He will try to get you to doubt God's care, love, and goodness in your life, especially as you face trials and temptations in your life. 
And folks, when we fall for that trick of the trickster himself and start to believe that lie that God maybe is not as good as I thought he was or maybe he's no longer, <coughs> no longer good, when we fall for that lie and that trick, then guess what? Here's what will happen. We'll begin to try and find other means and other methods to meet our needs outside of the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Listen, our Heavenly Father, He is good. He's nothing but good. And we can see that in every good gift and every perfect gift from Him. So you're going through it. We all do. Can I suggest something to you this evening? See the goodness of God in your life. Because everything He gives is good. Another area we can see how good He is in our life is this one, all right? We can see His goodness in that this, that He never changes. Uh, notice again in verse number 17, this phrase. No, uh, uh, look, well, let's read it. Verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift from above cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is, here it is, no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, what does this mean? What, what is this? What is variableness? It's a hard word to say. Say it ten times fast and I'll laugh at you too. All right? But what is this word? Uh, well, it's not a word that we use a lot in our modern vernacular, but it's a great word and it means this. It means to be fickle. It means to have a variation, or it means you're apt or inclined to change. That's what it means. Uh, variableness be, be like this. It'd be like um, the windshield wiper on your, on your car, just going from one side to the other, from one side to the other, from one position to the other. Sounds like politics in America, from one side to the other. Anyway, I digress. All right. But anyway, but that's what variableness is, okay? Just flippy floppy, just fickle. Uh, could change, perhaps could change at any moment. It's just not very concrete. But understand, that is not our God. He is not fickle. He's not flippy-floppy. He doesn't change. He doesn't go from one side to the other. In fact, the Bible says here in this verse, there's not even a hint of change in our God. And where do you see that? I see it in this phrase. Look at verse 17 again. No, no uh, variableness, neither shadow of turning. Uh, do you, did you know there's a, a way that we can actually detect movement even if an individual is standing completely still or at least appears to be com standing completely still and, un and unmoving? And that detection is made possible by, here it is, their shadow. All right? You see, if we did an experiment and we take a... Um, uh, an individual, and let's just say we set him at the very top of the parking lot and we find a very powerful light and set it behind him to cast a shadow at the very long end at the other end of the parking lot. And we ask that guy, look, stand still, try to move not one inch, all right? Uh, just, just stand very, very still. Try not to move now. We'll put this big, bright light behind you. I'm not going to blind you, put it in your face, put it behind you, and I'm just going to watch your shadow. And you're able to watch his shadow at the very end. Maybe, maybe we'll do it miles apart. I'm talking about a big light cast a big old shadow, okay? We'll do it miles apart. And you go miles down the road to look at his shadow at the very end of it. And he is being completely still. Did you know you'll still detect his movement even though he thinks he's being completely still? 
And at the very end, miles away on his shadow, you'll see maybe he's moving a couple inches at the shadow, or maybe a few feet at the end of the shadow. But when you come back looking at him face to face, man, you ain't moved an inch. But his shadow proves otherwise. That's what he's getting at here. That's what the Bible is getting at here. He is saying, listen, there is no hint of movement or of change in your God, not even at the very tip of the shadow, no shadow of turning. What I'm trying to say is this. God has been good from the very beginning. God is still good now. And God will forever be good hereafter. No matter the circumstances and trials and temptations of life, God is, will be, and has been nothing but good. And James is trying to point them to this very truth and very fact, especially as he knows they're getting frustrated and angry. He knows that. Through the trials and temptations of life, but he's saying, look, 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 don't, don't, don't focus in. Yes, you're enduring them, you're going through them, I know that, but don't focus in on that. Rather, point your eyes and focus to your unchanging God and His goodness for you. And this not only goes for them. The same goes for us today as well. And so this evening, here's what I want to encourage for you. I want you to see the unchanging goodness of your great God in heaven. And and that should help us. That should help change our thinking through the trials and temptations of life. Or at the very least, it should curb our anxieties and frustrations through those times of life. At the very least. So if you're going through it, you're going through those times, then do this. I want you to stop. I want you to think upon the goodness of God in your life. I want you to write them down. At least three things. Write down three things how God's been good to you this week. Just write them down. And think upon that. As Paul said to the Philippian believers in Philippians 4.8, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. There's one individual that I know that fits the bill of that entire verse. And that is the love of the Lord Jesus. Think upon him, how good he's been in your life, all that he has given you, those good things he's provided and given to you. And all you got to do is sit down for a minute and think about it. Yes, the things you're going through can be difficult. The trials, the troubles can be difficult and so horrendously negative. But it might just be one compared to the hundreds of other good things that have happened in your life that God has done for you and given to you. Think 